3: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We are back here with our man Matt
4: George, who's back in the Locked On Kings home podcast studio uh, after a nice little trip to Las Vegas. Uh, it's good to see you and Jake Gaden getting your jokes off on a regular basis at the hands of uh, at the expense of D-Lo and KC. But it's all up before to the to the Kings in the uh, refreshing victory last night against the uh, Denver Nuggets. Um, how was how was your uh trip to Vegas and covering the Super Bowl and what looked like a really really frantic week for you out there?
0: It was chaotic in the best way. So we ended up tallying 91 hours of work, at least I did. 91 hours of work over 7 days, which is pretty crazy, but it doesn't feel like it when you're in it. Like when you hit your, when your head hits the pillow at the end of the day, you're like, "Okay, I'm exhausted." But when you're in it, man, it's just a football festival. That's exactly what it is. It's just a football festival, and it happened to be in Las Vegas with plenty of other things to do, plenty of other distractions, but to be there for an actual Super Bowl, two major takeaways that I had from being at the Super Bowl in person. The first takeaway is that TV timeouts are horrendously long. <laughs> oh my! The amount of waiting around you do attending a Super Bowl is insane. While all y'all are, are seeing and watching all those fun Doritos and and uh, whatever Dunkin' Donuts commercials back at home, Horizon. we're literally just sitting there staring at nothing and they played the same songs over and over and over again because they were playing the songs for each team's respective kickoff, what they play at Arrowhead Stadium, what they play at Levi Stadium. I think uh, every single time the, the Chiefs start uh, a drive, they play Purple Lamborghini but they uh, by Rick Ross and Skrillex, but they played just the first five seconds of it over and over and over again throughout the entire freaking night. So that was one of my first takeaways. The second takeaway was, the best part, the absolute best part of the game was Usher. And it's not even close. Mm-hmm. Like, being there for Usher. Now, we, I had to go back and actually watch the show from the TV side of things afterwards. But being there, being out there for it, seeing the stage, seeing how they set up and tear down the stage, uh, just being there for the full set, man. I uh, Usher left, and I was like, forget the second half. I just want to watch more Usher. It was that good. Awesome. Uh, so, but it was an incredible experience.
2: Do you um... – do you have any stories from the week that you can tell?
0: Nothing interesting. Like we we really behaved ourselves with everything being in Vegas. So I think all 3 of us, myself, Kevin, and then Chris Costello, our photographer. We went 7 days in Vegas without gambling once. Um which might be a record. Like we just we didn't have time and really didn't have the interest to um no no real interesting stories. Basically everything was just like it was like fort Knox out there. I was telling people like to to even get credentialed, we had to like confirm our identities, give social security numbers and stuff like that. Like the NFL treats this, like you're, you're entering the white house or a government building. And they had the, uh, Allegiant stadium, like blocked off two blocks from the stadium itself. And we had to go through multiple scanners and, and scan our credentials a million times just to get in certain areas. Um, not 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 too many stories other than what you guys saw on the ABC 10 broadcast. It was just like I said, a, a football festival, and it was a lot of fun. And bumped into some Sacramento people while we were out there, and it was it was just a good time.
4: You know when that started? I think I was reading a story about this once when uh, like, cause the like because Super Bowl it didn't used to be like that. It was a football game you go to the the Whitney Houston Super Bowl, mm, desert the Storm. Desert Storm. Yeah, and I can't remember who that was. I'm sure it was Bills and somebody. I don't remember Bills, Bills, Bills and Cowboys. Bills and Giants, it, it was that one because that was the, cause there was a strong thought that, of canceling the Super Bowl that mm-hmm. year. And instead, what they did is they created, like, a tremendous amount of security for it, and it never really changed. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's heightened because that, that was 90-something, 90 91, 91, maybe. And yeah, 91. 10 years later, it gets heightened 91. again in 2001, yeah. and then, you know, that's kind of where we've lived since then. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I learned too that they actually like closed the airspace above
4: mm-hmm.
0: the uh, the Allegiant Stadium yep. too within a certain radius. There were like you you'd walk into the NFL fan experience in the Mandalay Bay Convention Center, and there's police officers everywhere, including guys with just full rifles slung across their laps, just ready for anything. Like they they know, I guess it's a hot spot for for any kind of attacks or or targets or something like that. And thankfully, everything was fine. Everything went smooth. And then, of course, what happened. At the KC uh, championship parade or Super Bowl parade is just horrendous. So there's a reason why they take all that security seriously. But I mean it was it, it's incredibly it, there's so many moving parts to it, but it was really, really well organized. I thought Vegas did a tremendous job job hosting. I mean, Vegas is used to that kind of thing. The infrastructure was already there. I see Wheezy asking in the chat. Like it was pretty quiet Monday through Wednesday. It was also rainy and cold the entire time, which Vegas does not do rain very well. It just does not handle rain. There's just puddles and crap everywhere. But once it got to thursday, friday, saturday, sunday it really ramped up and i'll i'll say this too i don't know how well you well you could tell on tv it was probably 65 or 70% niner fans at the game like niner the, the faithful traveled really really well it was a niner home game the chiefs crowd was making some noise in, in certain moments but it was it was a niner home crowd I, or it looked like it
4: i figured it was a niner by the way the question Weezy asked was how was the crowd uh, there during the week was everything packed and I assumed it was a 49ers heavy crowd when they booed Taylor Swift chugging a beer. <laughs> yes. Like, you never boo the person chugging a beer unless she's on the opposing <laughs> team. And she was essentially, by all intents and purposes, on the opposing team yesterday. Oh, well, good, Matt. I'm glad you you you, you guys did a great job covering it. I don't know why, but I laughed at the video of you tackling uh, Kevin John repeatedly. I don't know why I found that as entertaining as I did. Probably because <laughs> Kevin is just so damn innocent um but i thought that was he a, deserved it a great little it. a great little piece of business that y'all did
0: it was a good tackle it was a clean tackle it was
4: clean yeah
0: it was, it was clean textbook blindside text, blind text, te-
4: te- textbook tackle hit. uh spent too long in the pocket let's talk kings basketball man um matt i'll i'll fill you in if you weren't with us yesterday i i was i was really really upset following that loss to to phoenix really disappointed and and after you know, a, a smidge bit of convincing from my partner I did recognize the fact that the team played well, yes uh, against Phoenix.
0: I mean the love doctor
4: but, but the love doctor indeed, it's it was Valentine's Day, he was talking me yeah. off the ledge. Um, and but I'm so much more excited in a game where everyone played like crap, but they walked away with a victory. Um, what, what is your, your 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 how have you been able to digest these last two games over the last two nights from Sacramento?
0: Yeah, I, I, I basically called myself a hypocrite on, on the Locked on Kings podcast last night because the Kings had that really ugly win in Memphis, and I was furious with it. And then they had that really ugly win last night against Denver, and I was not elated or thrilled, but I was like, okay, I I can accept that. I'm happy with that. Probably the, the quality of opponent has to do with that. Also, the fact that like I went into last night's game full transparency – Completely expecting a loss, like gearing myself up for it. It wasn't just the second night of a back-to-back. It wasn't just that it was in Denver. It's against the Nuggets team you've beaten twice. You just outplayed them and beat them on your home floor. I know the Nuggets were looking just as eager, if not even more eager, for the All-Star break than the Kings were last night. But I thought that was the Nuggets team that was going to go, yeah, we're not losing to this team three times. Mm. And they just weren't. They weren't that. Regardless, the Kings went down by 16 points on the road in Denver, second night of a back-to-back, could have folded the game before the All-Star break, and they didn't. So I also like that they had – I mean, I didn't like that they had nine turnovers in the first, like, 15 minutes of the game or something like that or 16 minutes of the game. That being said, they cleaned it up. They didn't turn the ball over the second half. What I really liked is De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk combined for 11 turnovers the night before in, in Phoenix. Last night, I think Fox only had one. Malik only had one or two. So they did a better job, them taking care of the basketball, which the Kings can always make up for turnovers from Sabonis or other guys more than they can make up for their primary ball handlers turning the ball over as much as they did in Phoenix. So overall, I wouldn't call it a good win necessarily. Like it didn't look good. It didn't necessarily feel good. But it's a a win that makes you feel a whole heck of a lot better going into the all-star break then had they lost that game, then they would have lost what, like three out of their last four or four out of their last five and including yeah. that loss to the Pistons. So that was a, I, I thought it was a good way to end the quote unquote first half of the season. Just get to that vacation or wherever you're going, get to that week off with your third victory over the defending champs and get ready to hit the ground running for the, uh, the home stretch. Cause the West is going to be crazy during this playoff race.
2: Do you, Loki in the chat says last night was the best win of the season. Do you agree with that one?
0: Not at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> not even remotely close. I, I, I kind of, I guess I get where he's coming from because the Kings played like crap and still beat the defending champs. But that wasn't even close to the best version of the Denver Nuggets. Nikola Jokic didn't look like he had any interest in being there. I mean, he was just kind of going through the motions and was more interested in screaming at the officials. Oh, which shout out, good Mike at Shout out Mike Malone for keeping him in the game. I don't know how he did because Jokic wanted to get ejected. Jokic almost looked mad at Mike for getting a text so he didn't get his second one. Like, what the hell? I want to go watch horse racing. Get me out of here. But uh, also, I mean, the Nuggets are shorthanded, too. So that Denver Nuggets team, they didn't look like they had any interest at all in in really giving a, a major effort in that game. So regardless of the circumstances i don't take anything away from the kings you've still beaten the defending champions three times you still won on the second night of a back-to-back it was a very very needed win context be damned a very needed win going into the all-star break
2: well i think that's that's where the statement comes from though it's not necessarily they they played well best games they played this year might have been the bucks game and they lost so it's Mm -hmm. not performance it's if you look at what this team is going through, where they're at, well, the last time
4: they played standards. Denver was pretty good too.
2: <laughs> no, it, it, was, yeah. it was, it was, it um, was, I mean, the but, but, but there, there wasn't uh usually when we have these conversa- conversations, right? There wasn't a level of adversity mm-hmm. in the game mm-hmm. that there was in this one. The Kings could have, we talk about Denver not wanting to be there the Kings when they were down 12 or whatever at the half could have said,
4: let's just get to g- get out of here. Get here. Yeah.
2: And they didn't, they kept battling, they got a win. And, I don't know know if it is the best win of the season or not, but I think it's in the conversation. Uh, The the ones that come to my mind off the top of my head is two Warrior wins, Mm -hmm. the Magic game, and this game.
0: Uh, I'd also submit the road win in Minnesota, given the T-Wolves their first road win of the season. I thought the win, the first win against Oklahoma City without De'Aaron Fox was a big win. The second win against Oklahoma City with De'Aaron Fox was a big win. Uh, the fact that Demontis Sabonis is six and zero now against Jokic, AD, and Karl Anthony Towns at any of those those games in there, but I I, I mean I, I get the point. I think it was it was encouraging for us to see Sacramento beat a team to the level of the Denver Nuggets while not playing their best basketball, not necessarily playing their brand of basketball. But I thought this Kings team has looked better, obviously has played better, and had better performances that have led to wins this season compared to that one. And let's put it this way, like. It's great that they got that win, but if they play that way the majority of the time throughout the remainder of the season, their chances of actually securing a playoff spot are are, are, are are pretty rough. And that's where I look at, like, I think the Nuggets are in a position where they can afford to coast a little bit, right? They're dealing with injuries. They're a championship team. They know if they make it to the playoffs, plus they're in a much better standing situation than the Kings are. They make it to the playoffs. They know they can make a run. Sacramento is, I, I think, has... And, and and I'm curious if you guys feel the same way about this because we talked after the trade deadline, but before Monty McNair's press conference. And Monty typically doesn't say a lot of things in his press conference that really piqued my attention or piqued my interest. But one of the things that he said in that press conference uh, after the trade deadline was that he mentioned, and I don't have the exact quote in front of you, but he essentially said something along the lines of like, we just we get a, we of course the regular season is important but when we get there that's when we feel like you're going to see the growth and and what we've learned from the playoff series against the Golden State Warriors and 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 I understand exactly what he's saying but there are teams that are established veteran teams teams to some extent like the Lakers and the Warriors even though they've kind of burnt up their safety net Those are the teams, maybe even the Phoenix Suns to some extent, those are the teams that I can say, okay, you're kind of allowed to coast into the playoffs because once you get there, you're good enough and experienced enough to make that run. I just don't think the Sacramento Kings are good enough to coast into any kind of playoff situation and just rely on one playoff series last year as how they're going to grow. So when I look at the Nuggets last night, I look at a team that was kind of coasting their way into the All-Star break and is just going to try and put the pieces together and and make a push and try and get hot right before the, the playoffs begin. And the Sacramento Kings are in a position where they've used up all their safety net. They've used up all their bad losses. I think, Kenny, you were talking about it last night. To me, this King, the Kings need to figure out how to get hot now and start playing well coming out of the All-Star break, similar to how they did last season, or they're looking at a play-in instead of a playoff scenario. That's just how tough the West is at this point, and the Kings want to avoid the play-in at all costs, in my opinion.
4: Yeah, I, I uh, couldn't. I couldn't agree more. One thing I'll say about last night's, though – uh, last night's game, though, Matt, you, t- you talk about the, the, the Nuggets kind of playing like they just wanted to get out of there. It felt like the Kings wanted to play to get out of there. And when they got within striking distance, because the difference really between the two halves was the Denver Nuggets were making shots in the first half and the Kings weren't. Then in the second half, the Kings started making shots and the Denver Nuggets weren't. And the Kings had themselves in a position where they kind of got the momentum a little bit. They're the ones hitting shots. Denver's not. And that's where... Uh, the cerebral assassin. Hmm. That's where De'Aaron Fox was like, All right, mm-hmm. we're here. Mm-hmm. Let me let let's 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 get out of here with a you know with a win. Mm-hmm. And you know, he goes on that tear that he goes on in the final two minutes. He doubled all of his numbers there in the fourth quarter and it was like we now now we got fourth quarter Fox, which I think makes everybody, you know, all all Kings fans feel warm and fuzzy. But bigger mm-hmm. picture, you know, loss or otherwise it's it sucks they lost that Phoenix game given how Domas and De'Aaron played. You got seventy-one points from De'Aaron Fox in the last two games, and we haven't been able to say that for a little while.
0: No, that's and that's fantastic. Uh, and and yeah, because before that, what was it? Five f- five straight games or four out of five games that he didn't even break twenty. Yeah. And I think some people were concerned about that. Now, one of those games was when he had like fifteen points, ten assists, and five steals, which was against the Denver Nuggets in that win. So mm-hmm. some fans were, I guess, not. Still not too pleased with that because of the scoring numbers. To me, that that fourth quarter last night was just a reminder of how quick De'Aaron can take over a game. And we have not seen it nearly as much as we saw it, certainly to start this season. But that's where I kind of, like, I I, I, I subscribe to Monty's style of thinking a little bit is, I, I do believe, and I think last night was a good reminder of, once, I shouldn't say if, once the t- Kings get to the playoffs... They have their guy. I mean, I I have all faith on the planet that De'Aaron Fox, knock on wood, as long as he stays healthy, De'Aaron Fox is going to be that superstar that we saw at the beginning of the year when he gets into the postseason. Like, the Kings can feel very, very good about that, and it's just the rest of the supporting cast keeping up. Is Demontis Sabonis having a better series than he did last uh, uh, time in the playoffs, even though he's having the best regular season of his career right now and just outplayed Nikola Jokic again? And then you have Kevin Herter. Can he be more of an impact? Harrison Barnes. Can he be more of an impact? Can Keegan Murray get going sooner than game four? Right? Like it's, it's, it's the the pieces around De'Aaron, but I think last night was a good reminder D that if slash when the Kings get there, even if Fox is kind of going through this slump and kind of going through the motions, like it feels like he has been through January and early February when games on the line and in, in, in a big game, Big moments of a game. You can turn to De'Aaron, and he won't just get the job done on the offensive end, scoring the 15 points like he did. He'll get it started with picking someone's pocket with that steal. He had three steals last night, picking someone's pocket, going down the other end, throwing down a dunk. And that's how he'll get himself going, not just relying on that step back three like at times he's relied on too much. So,
3: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
2: Yeah, I like, I like when he's aggressive. I like when he's going downhill, uh, not settling for the step-back jump shots. And I, I would like to see him, like, get to the cup, get to the foul line a little bit more to kind of get him in a groove to eventually take those step-backs and those threes and things of that nature. But when he's aggressive, when he's cooking, Matt, we talked about this yesterday, talked about it today. I have so much more confidence in this team as a whole about where they can go and who they can be. When Fox, the leader, the best player on the team, is out there being aggressive and taking on that responsibility of leading these guys moving forward. When when he's like that, I got no worries about them making the playoffs. They might even be able to get out of the first round.
0: Yeah, I just, I don't know what le- there is left to say about De'Aaron in terms of like, I don't know what's missing. I don't use injuries as an excuse. I expect he's playing banged up. We've heard about the ankle, heard about the shoulder. He hurt his wrists last night, or one of his wrists, going for a, a big tomahawk dunk in the first quarter. Like, De'Aaron gets banged up, and he plays banged up all the time. If he's getting out there and they're clearing him to play, I'm not using that as an excuse. To me, it all goes back to what Mike Brown said at the last end of last season, is he has every capability to be one of the top elite players in the league, he just has to bring it and do it every single night. And I think it's easy to say that and hard to actually execute that. Like you have to be a special breed of, of athlete of player of competitor to be willing to go out there and, and and put yourself in that scenario and give your all and, and take every game as seriously as possible on an 82 regular season game basis. Now, I'm not using that as an excuse because we all know how much money De'Aaron's being played. We all know how he is exalted as the star and hero and leader of Sacramento, right? But like at, at this point, to me, it's when De'Aaron decides or De'Aaron is engaged in that that takeover mode nobody's going to stop me or i'm 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 gonna get us this win tonight that's when this king's team is at their best and i have no doubts in my mind that that side of De'Aaron will come out in the playoffs hopefully that side of De'Aaron will come out in these meaningful games in the race for the playoffs but it's getting through this dog days trenches of the regular season patch where They've built enough of a cushion in terms of wins and losses, and they're far enough above 500 to where De'Aaron doesn't feel the sense of urgency to give his all every single night like he did at the start of the season. But despite the Kings record, the standings still are in the situation where the Kings are eight games over 500. doesn't matter. They're in eighth place. So how how do the Sacramento Kings, how does De'Aaron Fox mentally and physically bring it every single night? How do the Kings get that out of them? That to me is the foundation of any success that they're going to have throughout the rest of this season.
4: What's your theory on why Mike hates Kevin Herter?
0: (laughs) Your guess is as good as mine. I, uh, (laughs) I mean, I I heard you guys talking about this. I couldn't agree with you more yesterday. Um,
4: I Okay. For those, I I kid, I don't think Mike hates Kevin Herter. I got to stop saying it. I'm joking. There's something about Kevin Herter's game that Mike Brown definitely doesn't like. And that's, that's very clear.
0: Kevin just, I think it's clear, Kevin just does not fit what Mike is trying to do. And I understand, right? And 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 far be it from me to question the head coach or a, a man who's gone from good to great before and who actually knows how to do this thing. And I've been in Sacramento basically my entire life and watched the Kings basically my entire life. So I sure as hell don't know what it takes to get from good to great. <laughs> that being said... Like, I understand if you believe the Kings have to get to this level defensively or ha- have to improve this to become a championship contender. But I look, at the, I look at the shortcomings of the Sacramento Kings on the defensive end. I look at what they can and can't do, and I think it's more personnel-based than it is scheme-based, right? This coaching staff is loaded with some of the most brilliant minds in basketball. Jordy Fernandez is going to be plucked and is going to be a brand-new head coach in, in the very, very near future. I think this is the last year that Jordy is a member of the Sacramento Kings. That being said, he is technically the defensive coordinator on that coaching staff along with Mike. Jay Triano is the guy that's in charge of the offense. Plus, you have Doug Christie on that bench who is literally known for defense here in Sacramento. You have guys across that bench that know what it takes to execute defensively and play good fundamental defense. You still have to have the personnel to execute it and play it. But the reality is the Kings personnel is not that which is ultimately a front office and Monty McNair problem and an issue that the Kings will need to address and I believe will address this op- this upcoming summer, this upcoming offseason. That being said, I think that you guys were saying this yesterday, like the trade deadline is passed. Your roster is your roster. Mm-hmm. And you have a starting shooting guard who not only can be one of the most electrifying and prolific three-point shooters in the league, he is... Scheme schematically, a perfect floor spacing fit with your 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 main two pieces. Even Keegan Murray, if you want to add in a third. Mm-hmm. Like emphasizing Kevin Herter's strengths is something that the Kings have gone so far away from. Because I think back to last season, Kevin started the season red hot, but it wasn't just oh, Kevin is getting these catch and shoot three opportunities and he's knocking all of them down. The Kings were emphasizing Kevin with the DHO game with DeMontis Sabonis, right? Kevin said going into that season during media day, and I still remember it, he said DeMontis Sabonis is the easiest player in the league to play with because he was talking about how Sabonis gets Kevin the ball where Kevin wants the ball. The Kings have gone away from that this year. To some extent, they would have went away from where Harrison likes the ball too. Maybe it to James Ham's theory. Maybe it had to do with trying to get Keegan more involved. Maybe it had to do with... Uh, De'Aaron and DeMontis Sabonis both need to shoot the ball a little bit more. Regardless, like I trust Mike wholeheartedly. I believe in Mike wholeheartedly. That doesn't mean I blindly follow everything he does. I The biggest question that I've had, the biggest criticism I've had of Mike this season is, is of how he's handled Kevin Herter. Mm-hmm. I don't think Kevin has given Mike what Mike needs out of his starting two-guard spot. But neither is, I mean, Chris Duarte had good minutes last night. Chris Duarte suddenly started the fourth quarter after not playing more than three minutes since January 25th. Like, it worked last night. I'm glad it worked last night. I
4: always tell you guys, Mike Brown's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Mike Brown is hilarious. That was
0: wild. That was wild. Kevin Hurd is your best two guard on this roster, not named Malik Monk. And if you are going to stick stubbornly with, I am not moving Malik out of the second unit then Kevin Herter needs to be in that spot and emphasize his strengths. And I don't think Mike has done a good job of that.
2: So are you of the belief, like I am, I think the, the Kings need Kevin Herter. They need him. It's not just he should be playing because we like to see him playing and all this other stuff. I think they need what he brings to the table. Now, the structure of the offense and the way they run stuff, like you said, the dribble handoffs and the, the amount of opportunities he gets – on that side of the floor may still not be the same as they were last year. But I just think there are certain times, like I thought in that Phoenix game at the end of it, they needed that threat of a shooter late in, game, late in the game to help them get through that. And I didn't think Harrison was, was going to give it to him. Plus, he already wasn't playing defense as well. Now, last night, they didn't necessarily need it. Harrison was mm-hmm. playing well. He's playing well on both sides of the floor. Um Aaron was doing what he did but I think in the grand scheme of things I think they need Kevin Herter do you feel the same way about
0: him absolutely the best version of the Sacramento Kings involves a consistent role for Kevin I won't say the best lineup for the Sacramento Kings involves Kevin being on the floor although statistically the Kings typical starting five featuring Kevin Herter is one of the best lineups in the league now they also play a lot together and we know how offensively efficient that 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 unit can be Mm -hmm. but like we saw what the Sacramento Kings look like when Kevin, or without Kevin Herter, essentially in that playoff series, right? Kevin was bad the entire playoff series. And he'll be the first one to admit that he knew, he knew. And that, that had, I think that carried over mentally into the start of this season, into training camp. Like he, that was a funk that took him a while to work his way out of the Kings still took the golden state warriors to seven games. So the Kings can still be competitive when Kevin is struggling and without Kevin Herter. But if Kevin shoots, Half, uh, like halfway as good as he shot throughout the majority of last season during that playoff series, it doesn't make it to 7 y'all. The Kings are playing the Los Angeles Lakers after game five or game six. Hmm. Like That's how important Kevin Herter can be, plus the amount of attention that he draws away from a Fox or from a Sabonis or for Keegan Murray to some extent or – Defenses just have to pick their poison and say, "Fine, we're going to leave Kevin Herter because we have to throw a double at Fox or we have to help on Sabonis or we have to uh, to to cover the, the the swing to Keegan on the corner." And then you get Kevin, who is a shooter that by no means should get any open threes, getting him those looks that I don't think he gets on too many other teams. Hmm. So yes, the Kings, be- the best version of the Sacramento Kings features Kevin Herter. And if the Kings are taking that away instead of defenses taking that away, you're just hurting yourself
4: assess Keegan Murray for me
0: um I, I mean that's I a tu- think that's a is... tough
4: thing to just throw at him like i like,
0: just just just
4: break down Keegan Murray for me and what you think
0: I think I think he's in his second big slump of the year I broke this down basically last night into what I'm not concerned about what I'm a little concerned about and what I am concerned about So what I'm not concerned at all about is even when Keegan is struggling offensively, he still knows how to make a positive impact on the game. He continues to do it. He had five rebounds last night, once again, not shooting the ball well. He's averaging like four and a half rebounds or something like that this month in February where he's having a completely bad shooting month. Right. On top of that, we know he's statistically one of the best isolation defenders in the league. He's become one of the best, if not the best defender on this roster. He's the guy getting the toughest defensive assignment that the Kings have typically on a nightly basis. So even if the shot isn't falling for Keegan, he's making a positive impact towards winning. So that's what I'm not concerned about. I am a little bit concerned about the three-point shooting because it's dropped from around 40% to now 35% for the season. He's shooting like 20% or something like that from three-point range here in the month of February. He's not getting to the foul line at all, which is something I think he does need to add to his game. But the three-point shooting, and this is a broader topic, I think, for the Kings in general, not just for Keegan, right? We talk about going away from your strengths a little bit. Sacramento wanted Keegan to, to become more of a three level score, to attack the basket, to get to the mid range, to do more than just catch and shoot from three. But he was so good at catch and shoot threes last season, breaking the NBA record for three pointers as a rookie that you don't want to completely take that away. And it feels like whether through Keegan's shooting struggles or through, um, the King's schematically, like they just don't go to that catch-and-shoot open Keegan Murray 3 as much as possible. Also, I think defenses are, are, are a little more savvy to how Keegan can beat you on the perimeter, and they're doing a little bit of better job at that too. I'm not concerned because Keegan shot 20% in the month of November, like 22-23% from three-point range, followed it up with like a 44% number and a 39% January. So he's already worked his way through a shooting slump and come out the, the, the other side better for it at one point this season. So I'm more than confident that he can do it again. What I am good about, again, kind of adopting Ham's theory about the Kings emphasizing Keegan in the first half of the season and now trying to get Harrison and other guys more involved. Since Harrison is up, Keegan has kind of dropped off. They have had a couple of games where one will have 17 points and one will have 15 points. But it feels like when one is feasting, the other one is 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 struggling. And HB, I remember what he talked about after that Warriors game. He talked about like some guys have to make sacrifices so others can have good nights. Some nights I'm setting the screens. The other nights it's Keegan setting the screens or whatever, or, or doing those little things, doing the dirty. And I love that Harrison is providing more and giving you twenty point light nights like he did last night. Is averaging fifteen points a night really since it began or something like that, or at least in in the month of February. But If that's what it takes to get Harrison to that level, if it takes Keegan struggling as much as he is and and falling out of the offensive scoring production as much as he has, I'm concerned about that because I don't want to have to pick and choose between two starters and the offensive impact that they're going to give me. You need to find a way to get both of them to be giving you more of a consistent, noticeable, regular offensive output than they've been giving you at the course of the season. So if I'm concerned about anything, it's that. That I'm I'm still not seeing this team cohesively more than once in a while having good offensive on the same page scoring nights.
2: Hmm. How do you feel about this team, Matt, for the future? Being able to make the playoffs, being able to stay out of the play-in and get into that top six. Do you how confident are you? I think we all agree we think they can do it. Like we see the pathway but do you believe in them to be able to pick themselves up in these final 28 games and be a top 16?
0: We've seen this team catch fire in the second half before. And we we saw it literally coming out of the All-Star break last year. Remember the context of that point. The Kings did not make any trades while other teams around them did, just like this year. And what were we talking about here in Sacramento? All these teams with experience are gearing up and the Sacramento Kings, they have not been here before. They are new to this. They're not going to be able to hold on to that third spot. I think they rattled off like eight straight. Were the best team to start the, again, second half of the season coming out of the all-star break, the best team in the league for for a couple of weeks, and that helped them secure that third seed. So I I look at this roster, I look at this core, and I say, yes, they're capable of doing it this year. But I think back to what was Mike Brown and De'Aaron Fox saying coming into this season that they're trying to win a championship, and I think this year we all know that's pretty much not happening. Like, can we we can all admit that, right? Unless it would take a miracle at this point. I think a miracle run for the Kings to win a championship. So, and, and like, so through looking things through that lens, I think it's I think it's pretty clear that this group, the way it's constructed, is just not good enough to get to where they want to go. That's where I think changes are definitely going to be made this offseason. And I think what the Kings are waiting for is one more playoff series minimum of context to make those decisions. If Mike's truly done with Kevin Herter or if Mike just doesn't see Kevin Herter as the future, there's that context we needed. Kevin's gone. If Harrison struggles again in the playoffs, okay, Harrison's gone. If this player, if Trey Lyle steps up in a major way, okay, good. Keep Trey around. If Malik Monk is there, yep, give Malik that money. Like I think the Kings are wanting more context to make those big decisions before they really truly go all in. That's what I think this year is about at this point. That being said, they're also trying to win at the same time. So to answer your question, Kenny, yes, I do have faith that they'll be able to put together a run and actually secure a playoff spot, not just a play-in spot. Mm -hmm. I do think they're more than capable of being a top-six team. They've been there all season long. Why would they fade out of it now? I think they absolutely can do it. Will they? I don't know, but I think they can. But are they the team that Mike Brown wanted to try and get them to be? No, they're not going to be. And changes have to be made for them to ultimately reach that goal. Hmm.
4: hmm. hmm. <laughs> all right. I, 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 I don't disagree with anything Matt said. I don't disagree with anything that you said. I think the team I still have the biggest question mark about is Dallas. I'm just confused with New Orleans. I don't understand that basketball team at all. I don't know what Dallas is, but my fear is I know what Sacramento is, and I just don't know if it's enough. Like, they're up and down. Can they be up a little bit longer than they're down? This final stretch, we talk about the home games over this final stretch. Is the home court, the golden one center, is that enough? You know, to, to, to propel that just slightly better run than you know, Dallas may have or New Orleans may have or Phoenix may have. Uh, I don't need them to run away with a sixth spot. Right. I need them to secure a sixth spot. And if mm-hmm. they secure it the last night of the this, this season against Phoenix, mm-hmm. I'll be equally as happy as if they secure it a week before. Right. Just get it. Just get a solidified spot. I don't want them in the play-in. Well, let me ask
0: you this, too, because this just pops into my mind. Coming into the season, we were asking, like, what constitutes success? What constitutes growth? And a lot of us were saying, myself included, like, I want to see them get out of the first round. Like, I think a successful season is them making it to the second round. If the Kings were to, given the circumstances of this season, if the Kings were to put together a solid second half, defend their home floor, maybe they end... With the exact same record as they do last season. And that's enough to secure them a fifth or sixth seed. But we see them overcome the adversity that they're facing right now and in a playoff race, once again establish themselves as a top six team in an extremely difficult Western conference. Mm-hmm. Regardless of who they play in the first round, they lose in the first round again. I don't know, like, I don't know how much we can constitute that as a failure. Again, I, I, I view that more as context than failure. It's now we a failure. know a little bit more about this team. But they still showed us something. And who are the guys that are going to step up during this race and show us that? Because those are the guys Monty's going to continue to ride with. And those who fall behind, those are the ones that are going to be on the outs.
4: That's not a failure. No, you've, a you've laid that out, Casey. You've laid that out uh, on numerous occasions. I'll say this. Standing pat in the offseason, that would be a failure. Mm. Yes. So yes. that that's, that's the only thing that I could see uh, being a failure. But they get to the first round. They don't make it part of the process, man. It's part of the process. Uh, Matt, we appreciate you. I'm excited to be a guest on the Locked on Kings podcast tomorrow. Hopefully you're a subscriber there uh, already. Obviously, most of you listening are Kings fans. Make sure you're a subscriber to Locked on Kings, whether it's the YouTube channel uh, or the podcast. Can't recommend the YouTube channel enough. Really good
3: stuff. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?